the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has been reminding the nation of Israel of God's many blessings and proven faithfulness towards them. God had supplied every need along their journey, despite their rebellion and idolatry. God had also given them victory over the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Og, king of Bashan, who had warred against Israel. God had shown himself merciful. Now it was up to the nation to choose to obey God's word. We join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 4, verse 1. The whole theme of the book of Deuteronomy is loving God supremely. In the first three chapters, Moses has recounted Israel's history from Egypt until today and how God had faithfully brought them to the promised land despite the previous generation's disobedience. And he starts there with, if he's going to tell us how we can love God supremely, we have to first understand what God has done for us. And so he's reminding them of that. And now as we get to chapter four, Moses has one more reminder for them because God didn't just preserve them in his mercy and give them victory over their enemies. He made a covenant of love with them. He gave them them his word. And so Moses now is going to remind them of that. He says, therefore, in light of all that God's done for you, he says, now hearken to Israel. He's telling them to hearken because this is my last teaching, my last sermons to you before you go into the promised land, before I die. It's the last will and testament of Moses. Now he says, therefore, in light of everything you've heard, hearken, because I'm going to, I want to say things done to you. And yet he hearkens back to what has already been said. He says, hearken to Israel under the statutes and under the judgments, which I'm teaching you for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers gives to you. God's word, he's already given to them on Mount Sinai. He gave them his law, but he's saying, you know, it's important that you do them. And see, that's how I show that God's word is important to me, that it's of value to me, that I put it into practice in my life. And when I listen to God's word, he will bless me. He says here that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers gives to you. That is the way that God will bless my life. If I decide and say, no, God can bless me even when I'm not keeping his word, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> you're absolutely kidding yourself. His word is life. His word is a light into our path, a lamp into our feet. David wrote an entire psalm, Psalm 119. We just read 16 verses of it, but he wrote an entire song, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and it's all dedicated to God's word. He says, do them that you may live and that you might go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers gives to you. Now I might be saying, why is Moses taking the time to set up his teaching by telling them what God's already taught them? Because God's word shows us what he's like. We can't have any idea what God is like if we don't get into his word. You know, we have this idea and we say, well, no, 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 no. I have a feeling of what God's like. Or I've been told by other people what God is like. How do you know they're right? How do you know you can trust your feelings? How do you know it's not the fact that you had Mexican this afternoon? You don't. 
feelings come and go. I was talking to one of my kids today and, and they were telling me, Dad, you know, you know, I felt really close to the Lord a couple of weeks ago and now I don't. You know, and I said, well, he's still close to you whether you feel him or not. And so it's important that we don't live our life based on our feelings or our own opinions. God's word shows us what he's like and what is right. God's word reveals his love for us. And if we don't recognize that, that it's an authoritative thing in our life, we can end up falling into some dangerous pits. Look at verse two. He says, you shall not add unto the word of God, which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command to you. The word there, diminish, means to subtract or omit. There's a dangers of not listening to God's word, of not letting it have a priority in my life, is that I can add my own ideas to God's word. See, when I add my own ideas of what's right to God's word, or I say certain parts of God's word don't apply to me, or they don't apply anymore, I elevate myself to a higher level of wisdom, higher level of knowledge, a higher level of morality than God himself. I'm essentially, when I say that, making myself God. I mean, this is the whole back to the garden problem. Satan came to Eve and he said, what's up with this tree? And and she goes, you know, we're not allowed to eat of it, touch it. That's where she got in trouble. God didn't say she couldn't touch it. She added to God's word. But then Satan challenged God's word. He said, Hath God really said, day you eat of this, you shall surely die? You will not die. He's not being honest with you. You know it in your heart. And she started to look at the fruit. And that must have been some good looking fruit because she's like, man, this fruit will make me wise. I've never looked at like an apple or a banana that way. I just never have. She had feelings. She had emotion in the moment. She had strong feelings that caused her to think, I know better than God about this tree. I'm going to go ahead and take a munch. See, when I do that, I'm essentially making myself God. And can I say... That is delusional and foolish. That is delusional and foolish. God has complete knowledge, perfect morality, and the highest wisdom. No one can claim to be equal to that. Anyone that's doing so is either selling you something or they need to go see a psychiatrist. No one can claim the same, let alone superiority to God in those areas. So anytime I add to God's word or I say, this doesn't apply to me, I don't agree with this, I am putting myself and those around me in danger because I'm deciding I'm God and you're not. And do you do that in your life? Do you take bits and pieces of God's word or does God's word have the final say in your life? You're setting yourself up for danger if it doesn't. The second danger we can fall into by not doing God's word is we deprioritize God's word in our life. It's important, but not super important. Look at verses three and four. He reminds him, he goes, your eyes saw what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed from among you. But you that did cleave unto the Lord your God, you are alive, every one of you this day. He says, you know, I told you that you're going to get in trouble if you don't make the word of God important and don't do it. He goes, here's an example. Baal Peor was the situation when they were right on the edge of fighting the Amorites. And remember, they went to Moab and said, hey, you know, can we get some food from you guys? And the king of Moab's like, no, man, you can't get nothing. And in fact, we're going to come out and fight you if you, you come anywhere onto our land. Israel's like, okay, all right, fine. We'll just camp out here. And so they camped out nearby and the king of Moab is looking out and he's going, they're going to invade us. God had no intention of invading them. We're going to invade us. We got to do something. And he hires Balaam, remember? And Balaam to curse Israel. And how did that go? Not good at all. Balaam just ends up blessing Israel. He looks down upon Israel and all he sees is God's presence in their midst, protecting them, guiding them as they're walking with him. Everything's good. So Balaam's like, I can't do it, man. Balak fires him. But as Balak's on the way home, he's thinking, man, I missed out on a good payday. And he goes, wait a second, I got an idea. Maybe I can't curse Israel. Maybe I can get God to discipline Israel. And he comes back to Balak, the king of Moab. He goes, listen, I can't curse these people, but if you get them to disobey God, God will deal with them. And what does he do? The Moabites and Midianites get together and they send all their priestesses out into the camp of Israel to entice the young men to come and have these 
sex parties, whatever, and to worship Baal. And that occurred at Baal Peor. God had to judge Israel because of that, even though they were in a place of blessing because they ignored his word and they went into idolatry and immorality. He's saying, your eyes saw that. You know this principle's true because you saw it with your own eyes. For all the men that follow Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But on the other hand, you that did cleave unto the Lord your God, the word there means to be faithful, to be obedient. And that's what staying close to the Lord is all about. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It means loving what he loves and hating what he hates. Those that gave that kind of priority to God's commands in their lives, they stayed out of that wickedness. When those girls came down, they're like, ah, God says not to do this. We hear there's idolatry going on over there. We're not taking any part of that. They didn't engage and they weren't judged. Those that didn't have uh, the word of God as a priority did engage and they were judged. And so the Lord is saying here, I kept you alive unto this day. You saw that this works. You know, many say they follow Jesus and they believe in the Bible, but it has a low priority in their everyday lives. Don't do that. You are putting yourself in danger of making poor decisions and it keeps God from blessing you. God wants to bless you. That's the whole point of this. He says in verse five, behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded you. Moses says, I gave these to you because God told me to give them to you. Why? That you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. So keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. Listen, nobody says that about a nation that's stupid, okay? <laughs> nobody says that about a person that's making bad choices. Nobody looks at that life and goes, yeah, they're, 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 they're sharp, man. They're, they're doing life right. No, they look and they go, what are you thinking? Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody make those decisions? Because they don't want to emulate that in their own lives, Moses tells them the laws given on Sinai, they still apply in the promised land. And God's word always applies to our lives, no matter the situation or circumstance. It's always wrong to lie. It's always wrong to steal. It's always wrong to have hatred in your heart. It's always wrong to have lustful thoughts in your heart. Those are always wrong. It's always wrong to have idols in your life. So if we do God's word, we keep them in our lives, that becomes our wisdom and our understanding. Now, wisdom means skill at living. I don't know about you, but I want skill at living. Like, I want to do life right. <laughs> I don't want to make the mistakes that I see some people make. Understanding means good sense, discerning, someone who avoids bad decisions. I can't always say I know exactly what to do, but I can tell you this. God's word has kept me from making a lot of bad decisions in my life. You, know, you see something, and you go, hmm, and then you go, no. <laughs> because there's a little bit of a, you know, what was it, a... Uh, my old pastor used to call it, he used to call it like a, like a you know, the doo -doo 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 -doo, you know, the, the warning lights, they go off in your heart and you just kind of have kind of a check in your heart where you're like, no, let's not do that because there's just a principle that I know that God has in his word and I think that might be crossing that line. There are so many ideas of right and wrong out there today and in every generation. Don't you want to live your life where people say that's the way life should be lived? I know, I do. And when I do what God's word says, they will. Because my life will have an integrity, it will have a love, a joy, and a wisdom that people are looking for. One of the biggest compliments I get is that people will come to me and they'll say, we watch you and Bev and we want our marriage to be like yours. 
Now, we haven't like discovered some ancient secret or something, okay? I'm not a former archaeologist and I found some ancient writings that discovered the way to do things, okay? It's modern day writings, all right? (laughs) My writings that you don't have to do archaeological digs for. Things that have been around, principles that have been from the dawn of time where God set it up. And at some point in time, there were people who loved me enough to pour into my life and said, Will, this is what God's word says. Make the word of God a priority in your life. And and me and Bev decided to say, okay, if we see, see what it says to do, let's do it. And slowly over time, as we got those things into our heart, we put them into practice. When people mention that about our family, I say, that was what I wanted. I always said I wanted to go to my pastor's house because that's where I felt God's presence. That's what I always said when I was a teenager. And I did because everything was peaceful there. Everything I knew, I was going to be okay. My family, not so much. It was a little bit crazy. We all got saved at the same time. So we were all really baby Christians at the same time when I was a teenager. And so we had a lot of issues we had to work through still. But there... I knew the Lord was there. And I wanted that for my life. When I got older, I said, I want people to be able to come to my home to engage with our family and sense the same thing. When your life has that type of an integrity, that type of love, that type of joy, that type of wisdom, people want to be around it. And that kind of life also causes people not just to see you and the success you're having, but it causes them to see the Lord in your life. In verses seven and eight, he says, for what nation is there so great who has God so near unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? He's saying, do you guys know how privileged you are? People look at you and they see the Lord. They see that the Lord is nigh unto you, the King James says. They see that God is close to you. You know what what would make America great again? Falling in love with Jesus. That's what would make America great again. That's what would make a nation or a person great is when we fall in love with Jesus and we do what he says. When it's clear that God Almighty himself is close to us. That's what makes a person great. That's what makes a nation great. Well, how do people see that Jesus is close to us? Well, we have to draw close to him first. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and what? He'll draw near to you, right? God already made the first move. He sent his son. He gave us his word. He's already, he already made the first move. Now we have to draw near to him. We can't have this esoterical idea of God that God's all of a sudden reach out to us and like shock us or zap us or make us give goosebumps or something like that. I'm not saying that can't happen, but that's not the point. He already made the first move. He gave us his word. He sent his son. Now it's our job to draw near to him. And when we do so in his word, he draws near to us. When Jesus draws near to us, he fills us with his spirit and we reflect him. You know what's interesting? The Bible connects being filled with the Spirit with letting God's Word have a high priority in our lives. It does. People say all the time, oh man, we got the Spirit. And I'm like, you ain't got the Word. That's not, you got some Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean that to be critical. I'm just saying, it'll never be God's Spirit if it's not in line with His Word. You say, you're making a connection that's not there. Look with me, Ephesians chapter 5. I need to let you guys know, you probably don't know this yet, but I'm a fairly emotional individual. I have high highs and low lows. For me, I tend to be someone who likes to sense the presence of God. I get the goosebumps, all that type of thing. That's me. I tend to not be the guy who just is kind of there. I'm not saying it's wrong if you are, but if you don't have those type of emotions and stuff, you're kind of on the low, that's good. You're probably more even keel than I am. Probably won't drive my wife crazy. But on the other side, I'm not someone who, who is like that. I tend to be highly emotional. I tend to be, I tend to get the goosebumps, but If they're not in accordance with God's word, then you might just need to turn the air conditioning off. Because the scripture says this in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. If you got there, I want you to also find Colossians 3, verse 16. I want you to read, just keep it on Colossians 3, 16. And I'm going to read Ephesians 5. If you could do both at the same time, you're more talented than I am and go for it. But Ephesians 5, 18 says this. Keep your eye on Colossians 3, 16. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see any similarities to 316? Pretty similar, right? With one difference. What is it? One says, be filled with the Spirit. Another one says what? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible equates those two things. If you're not letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you just have emotion. You don't have the Spirit of God. That's not the Spirit of God. It's just emotion. For someone like me who's very emotional, has those high highs and has those low lows, when I'm not in the word, well, if I'm emotionally doing well, I'm great. But when I'm not, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm trouble for everybody around me. So I need to let the word of Christ have a priority in my life so that I am filled with the Spirit and I'm walking the way he wants me to. I'm living life the way he wants me to. So what do I have to do to experience this blessing of, of having this wisdom and having an impact on others that they see the Lord in my life? Well, Deuteronomy 4.9. All you gotta do is this, he says. Only, Deuteronomy 4.9, only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. The word there, take heed, means to exercise care. You need to care for your soul. For example, if I'm gonna care for my body, I'm probably gonna watch what I eat. I might do some exercising, you know, go for a walk around the neighborhood, whatever. I would probably not be doing a good job of caring for my body if I did nothing, right? If I just sat on the couch and Netflix and chilled, I'm probably not exercising care for my body. No condemnation if you do that, you're good. I'm just saying. The idea is if we talk about caring for our body, we're probably gonna be careful about what we eat. We're gonna be more careful about how we conduct our exercise habits and whatnot. He says, in the same way, you have to make a choice to care for your soul. You have to be careful concerning yourself. You need to keep your soul diligently. The word diligently means with force and with strength. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul told the young man, he said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, you know, but can rightly divide the word of truth. That word study in the Greek is agonizo, does that sound like a word familiar that might be familiar to you in our English language? Agonize, agonize in the scriptures. Now, I don't think Jesus wants us grunting as we're studying. That's not what I mean. You know, it's not, it should not look like LA fitness, okay? The idea is that understanding and applying God's word to my life requires time and energy. It doesn't happen by osmosis. And if I don't understand something that I'm reading, I can't just say, oh, well, I need to follow up by asking others or doing some deeper research. I can't just ignore it because if I do, it means I might miss something that's integral to the decisions I have to make in life. How many times have you read your Bible and, and then all of a sudden something comes up that day that had to do with something you read? I was talking to a young man today and it was really cool. He's really on fire for the Lord and young guy, high schooler. He's like, you know, I didn't want to read my Bible and I read my Bible and it was so cool. I got to school and so the guy asked somebody, a friend of mine asked me a question. It was right about what I read in my Bible. And I was like, that's because you serve the living God. He knows, he knows. I can't tell you how many times I'll read my Bible and I'm like, how am I going to apply this to my life today? And then, lo and behold, it's right in front of me, you know, a couple hours later. The Lord knows us. He knows what we need. That's why he gave us his word. It's supernatural. It's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce beyond our soul, our emotions, to get right to the part of us that fellowships with God. Now, we tend to forget what God's done and what he wants. So if I'm lazy with my time in God's word, it will affect my daily life. So let's not be lazy. You know, he said, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Let's not do that. Now, one blessing from being diligent in knowing uh, and doing God's word is that I can pass it on to my kids. 
I pass on more than just my feelings, my emotions. They might not have your same emotional level. They might have more. They might have less. And so you, but if you're in the word and you're applying it to your life, you can pass it on to them. You can pass on your relationship to your kids. He says, but teach them to your sons and to your sons' sons. Now, knowing the truth without doing it will give your kids a religious spirit. And we don't want that. If we want to give our kids the best chance to be truly spiritual, we need to teach them God's word by living it out ourselves. And if you have kids tonight, I would ask you, are you doing that? Are you learning it and spending time to get to, getting to know it better? Let me tell you, kids will stretch you. The questions they ask are the best ones. There are times they ask me questions. I go, I, I don't remember what the Bible has to say about that. And I have to go back and figure it out. It's a great challenge. So we need to live it out. What's interesting about back then, of course, is they didn't have the family Bible. The scrolls of God's law, that's all they had up to that point. They put it on scrolls. They would have to be memorized by the people because not everybody had the money to purchase scrolls. Scrolls were expensive. To, and then to get it all written down correctly took time. So most of the time, the scrolls of God's law would have to be memorized by God's people. If you, your bar mitzvah, and bat mitzvah, the idea is you're supposed to memorize all the first five books of the Bible when you have it. Now, they don't do that as the same today, but back in the day, that was a goal. They had to memorize those first five books so they would at least know God's law. Remembering everything, of course, is, is difficult, right? So Moses emphasizes the words that their forefathers heard with their own ears, what some of these guys would have seen and heard as small children, the Ten Commandments. So he tells them, teach them to your sons and to your sons' sons, verse 10, especially the day that you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, when the Lord said unto me, gather me the people together and I will make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth and that they may teach their children. The word there, fear, we can usually think of it in a negative way, like God wants us to be afraid of him. What's that about? The word fear here, it just means to give high honor or status to someone. We would call it reverence or respect. He says, you know, cause them to come near because I, I want them to hear my words. I want them to hear the scripture. I want them to hear truth so that they will have a reverence for me that stays with them all their days and they could teach that and pass that on to their kids. And so verse 11, you came near and you stood under the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness, God's presence came. And then the Lord spoke. They heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of the words, but you saw no similitude. The word there means a likeness or a, an appearance. They didn't see a form. There was no person in the fire. They just heard the voice. And he declared, that's God, unto you his covenant. The relationship he wanted to have with you, which he commanded you to perform. What was their job? even 10 commandments, and he wrote them upon two tablets of stone. This harkens back to the events of Exodus chapter 20 when they were at Mount Sinai. God's presence rested at Mount Sinai, and he spoke the 10 commandments to them in all of their presence. Now, if you go back to Exodus 20, we can see and look at their response because I always kind of chuckle at it. It's an interesting response. God, with his own voice, gives them the 10 commandments. Moses doesn't go up in the mountain, anything. This is God himself speaking. Everybody heard it. Verse 18 after they heard God's voice, it says in verse 18 of Exodus 20, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed. That's a nice, fancy King James way of saying they ran away. They ducked and covered. They got behind their tents. They stood afar off and they said to Moses, ah, Moses, we've got a different plan. How about you speak with us and we'll listen to what you have to say. Let not God speak with us lest we die. And can you imagine what it was like to hear God Almighty himself saying, you shall have no gods before me. Uh-oh. 
You know, you shall not make any graven image unto me. Uh-oh. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. And your wife's looking at you going, uh-huh. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. I don't even know what that is. I mean, I mean, just boom, boom, no lying, no stealing, no adultery. I mean, they go down, no coveting. They're going down the list and you're going, I am dead. That fire is coming at me now. And they ran and they said, Moses, we've got a different idea. Every time that dude talks, I know I'm in trouble. How about you go talk to him and you tell us what he says, lest we die. But look at what Moses says unto the people. Fear not, for God has come to test you. And that his fear, in other words, that you would reverence him, that his fear may be before your faces and so that you don't sin. That was the whole plan. God's not here to kill you. He wants you to respect him, to honor his word, to do what he says, to make it a priority. God's word brings life and light on every situation we find ourselves in. The true miracle that the great God of the universe, the one who holds all life together in his hand, came down and spoke to us in a way that we can know him, that we can see the invisible God through his word. How awesome is that? But it is not enough to know his word. We must choose daily to obey it, to seek God in his word and believe all that he says to us. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.